It's an honor to introduce today's speaker. Um, He's the Connections Minister at Monterey Church of Christ. He's a mentor, and most importantly, he's a friend. I encourage you all to remove distractions and direct your attention to Hudson Hutchinson. The History of Thought. I bet if you saw that as a title of a class being offered next semester, most of you are saying, eh, hard pass. As an academic discipline, however, this is called intellectual history. It entails the tracing of either a scientific thought or a political thought, a philosophic thought or religious thought throughout the course of time. Again, I see on some of your faces, this is still a hard pass. However, on some level, we've all engaged in intellectual history. We have all tracked or traced or reflected on certain thoughts that we used to have. And if I can be honest with you this morning, some of the thoughts that I used to have were just plain dumb. I'm sure some of you can relate. When I was five, I vividly remember thinking that the car wash was a monster that was trying to eat me. I never said I was smart. When in elementary school, I was convinced that the angel of death, the tenth plague that God sent the Egyptians, that angel lived in our guest room closet, which led to a chronic fear of me wanting to go into my room by myself. Like I said, some of the thoughts that I used to have were just dumb. But some of the thoughts I used to think, they now embarrass me because they were totally wrong yet I held on to them so tightly. I grew up in a conservative church, probably like some of you in this room. And although no one ever said these words to me directly, the message I got was that people of our church would be the only ones who would be saved. And that led me to do some pretty embarrassing things. In the seventh grade, my friend Christopher invited me to spend the weekend camping with his family. We drove out on Friday, drove back on Saturday, and the plan was to go to his church on Sunday morning. But as we were driving back, I became nervous that we wouldn't be going to my church the next day. And then that nervousness kind of developed into fear that somehow I was doing something wrong, that I was compromising my faith. And so when we woke up on Sunday morning, I told Christopher, I did not want to go to his church. So I called my dad, he came and picked me up, and we went to our church, just like we usually did. See, what could have been a really great moment for my friendship with Christopher, to honor him, to honor his family, to honor his faith, turned into a moment where I truly believe I dishonored him. I made him feel less than because of my actions. And that wasn't the only time that this thought of only my church reared its ugly head during my upbringing. How many of y'all went to see you at the pole? Yeah, I didn't. Because some of the Christians who gathered at see you at the pole came from different churches, and they didn't really seem too serious about following Jesus, and so I avoided them and that particular gathering. How many of you were part of SCA? Yeah, I was uh, a Christian, and I was an athlete. I'm using that term loosely. Um, But I didn't cuss, I didn't party, and a lot of the people who went to FCA did, and so I didn't want to associate with them either. 
See, all this led me to believe that the church was really small. That was really only my brother and me who were real Christians at our high school. Well, this unhealthy thought of my church was the right church and that the church was really small followed me into college. I went to a private Christian university just like this one. And for four years, I thought that thought largely didn't change. In fact, it might have become even more cemented as I surrounded myself with people who thought just like I did. Until spring of 2011. When on a whim, our college minister took us to the Passion Conference in Fort Worth. And to be honest, I was, I was nervous about going. I was nervous about the different denominations that were present. I was nervous about instrumental worship. I was nervous about women teaching, because that's not how my church did things. Well, during worship, the music cut out, and I found myself singing with 60,000 other college students, come, Lord Jesus, come. And in that moment, it's like the scales fell from my eyes. In that moment, God showed me just how small and incorrect my view of his church was. The church is bigger than I realized. And in the moment, I was flooded with the memory of all of God's people who I had dishonored because they had a slightly different faith than I did. People like Christopher. See, we have this human tendency to paint with a big brush. We experience one thing, and then we assume everything to be in line with that experience. And when we do this enough, we paint a world that doesn't line up with reality. And I had painted a picture the small kingdom of God. As I've gotten older, I've had to repent of the ways that I used to think because it was not in line with Scripture and it wasn't in line with reality. And some of you can probably relate to my story. Passing religious judgment is as easy to you as breathing air and you come by it naturally. But some of you have been dishonored because of someone like me whose vision of God's work was too small. And it was either said to you or was implied that work did not include you. And if that was you, let me just genuinely say I'm sorry. That's not the way it was supposed to be. That was an untrue thought that was shared to you. And I know that it caused you pain, and I'm sorry for in whatever way that message was delivered. But in your pain, I encourage you to not paint with too big a brush. Don't write off all Christians because of the words or actions of a few. Don't write off all churches because you've been hurt by one. Don't paint with too big a brush and miss the kingdom of God that is full of wonderful and loving, honest and humble people who are trying to walk with Jesus and who are willing to walk with you. Jesus tells this parable of the great banquet. And those who are initially invited do not come, and so the master sends his servant out with invitations to everyone, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the nobodies, and the overlooked. 
And the servant comes back and tells the master, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still more room. It's a parable that beautifully paints a picture of God's bigger kingdom. It's not the small thought that I had previously ascribed to. And maybe you need to be reminded of this this morning. Maybe as a campus, we need to be reminded of this this morning. What would LCU look like if the starting assumption about people is that they were at the table, not uninvited? What would LCU look like if every student's faith was equally valued, no matter how different it was than your own? What if we trusted God to work in every church, in every ministry, and in every denomination? What if we didn't hold on to past hurts from people of faith? What if instead we gave talking faith to someone another try? How different might faith on this campus look like if we did that? I used to think Jesus' kingdom was pretty small. And I'm embarrassed to admit that out loud. Jesus' kingdom is bigger than you think. More people have been invited than you realized. Do your actions line up with that thought? You're dismissed.